This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich, and today I'm joined by a newcomer here on the show. He is the host of the podcast, The True Penny Show, as well as a writer for Steel Chair Magazine. It's James True Penny. James, welcome. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, always nice to have uh, new voices on the show. And uh, you're a musician as well, which is cool, because I think, you know, when talking about music and, and wrestling themes, uh, musicians, they, 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 do, they do bring their own special brand of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. Um, my buddy, Chris Novembrino, is, an, is a musician, and whenever he's on the show, on the show he's always spouting off, you know music theory and, and chord progression and all sorts of technical mumbo jumbo that just goes right over my head. But um, I, li- I do like having people on from different backgrounds and different perspectives. So it's cool to have a musician on like yourself to bring their own kind of analysis to this kind of thing. Thank you. Well, yes, I'm a musician. I'm a music teacher by trade. That's my day job. Um, I teach a lot of music appreciation to primary school children, so like elementary school children in the UK. Um, and I'm a guitar teacher as well. I've been guitar teaching for 25 years now. Um, <laughs> and I brought a guitar with me today. I brought my Ibanez, which is a Japanese guitar, because it's appropriate for the subject we're talking about. And there is some awesome 80s guitar in the songs we're looking at today. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll, uh, we'll get to that soon. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, since this is your first time here on the show, James, um, I'll ask you a question that I ask pretty much all my first time guest co-hosts how long have you been a wrestling fan and how did you start watching wrestling um i became a wrestling fan because of my father who was a big wrestling fan um and i've been a wrestling fan since as old as i could sit in front of a television on saturday afternoon to watch kent walton on world of sport um i'm a child of the johnny saints marty jones dynamite kid era of world of sport um and that's what i loved as a very young person and then they took away wrestling from us and I had to wait, and then I became a WCW fan after that. Um, and then in the early 90s, wrestling magazines became quite the big thing in the UK. There was a magazine called Power Slam, where I learned about a lot of wrestling outside of Britain and outside of North America, and specifically in Japan. And Findlay Martin, who was the editor of that magazine, wrote amazing stuff about Joshi wrestling, and that's where I became a fan of Joshi to start with. He talked about Akira Hokuto and Minami Toyota in the 1990s when Joshi was really at its peak, and that's where my fandom for that came from. And I was very lucky that I got to actually present a podcast with Finley a few years ago. So uh, that's where I became a fan because of my dad. He's a big wrestling fan still. Still watches tons of wrestling whenever he gets the chance. He's 80 years old next month. <laughs> he still watches wrestling. He was kind of like the Billy Robinson era. He was a, he, he actually saw Billy Robinson in his rookie year, which will tell you how long he's been a wrestling fan for. Yeah, and uh, what's cool too is that you've blended your wrestling fandom with your music because you do have a band 
called Sheriff Lone Star and the <laughs> Deputies of Heartbreak. And you've got a, just a, a bunch of wrestling-themed songs, and you have albums called Fantastic Mania and King's Road. You have a song called The Northern Lights Bomb, which I think is just <laughs> so awesome. Uh, when did you decide to make music about wrestling and have that be kind of your, you know, your main sort of topics there? I was, well, let's see, I was at university doing a master's degree in film, which is really where I became a decent writer and therefore became a journalist for wrestling stuff after that, after that when I left university. But the band kind of started then and I was looking for subjects and I'm like looking around at what I'm doing and the best thing about music is to write what you know. And at the time it was like, well, we've got really cool stuff happening in the professional wrestling world that I know a lot about and I can write songs about that. There's bits of politics on those albums as well um, but it was like, hey, why can't I write a song about Akira Hokuto? That would be really cool. So I wrote a song about Akira Hokuto and the guys in the band were like, we have no idea who this person is but it sounds awesome. So we'll do that. Um, yeah, and we wrote a couple of albums together. Um, currently on a bit of a break whilst our current drummer gets to starting university as <laughs> <laughs> the way things go but yeah um i'm very proud of those albums because they were a lot of fun to do and a lot of fun to write and uh yeah we play kind of rock and roll bluesy surf music with kind of a wrestling tinge awesome awesome so uh yeah again james welcome to the show uh this is episode 54 and this episode is coming out in march which is International Women's Month. And I, I figured, you know, what better way to celebrate that than to talk about some international women and their wrestling themes. So today we are going to be looking at 10 classic themes from the world of Joshi. Uh, Joshi, for those that do not know, is Japanese women's wrestling. Uh, Joshi has been around for decades, uh, almost as long as men's wrestling has. In Japan, and has proven at times to be just as popular, if not maybe even more popular at times, than men's wrestling is in Japan, uh, both in terms of the stars and in terms of the match quality. And in Japan, there are and have been just you know a smorgasbord of promotions over the years that are exclusively Joshi. You've got All Japan Women's, of course, Stardom, Tokyo Joshi Pro, Gaia, Sendai Girls, JWP, Ice Ribbon. Uh, seedling, like seven ends. <laughs> the list goes on and on and on. And with this episode, I put the call out on Twitter looking for a co-host who was well-versed with Joshi. And James, you put your hand up and you messaged me back and here you are. So uh, what's your experience like uh, with Joshi? How much have you seen? What are your favorite promotions? That kind of thing. Um, my, I've watched a lot of Joshi for the last decade or so, as soon as YouTube extended videos past 10 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> which was the moment I started to watch loads of Joshi. Um, I'm pretty well versed in the Joshi arena. I've written a couple of stories for Fighting Spirit magazine, one on Mako Satamora and one on Aja Kong, looking at their careers as they were making their debuts in the UK for Pro Wrestling Eve. I've done a lot of stories on Pro Wrestling Eve, kind of a British Joshi company, um, and women's wrestling is kind of really where is my bread and butter as a professional wrestling writer. When I was writing for Total Wrestling, I used to do the female focus once a month. Um, and so I, I've got a lot of experience in women's dressing generally, but Joshi specifically, um, my favorite promotion is Sendai Girls. Um, and I do like Stardom as well and Sea Lining and Oz Academy and all of the Japanese companies. And I think it's very, it's a very unique product and each, 
company has a very unique twist on what's going on in professional wrestling. And that's really why I enjoy it so much. Um, and also because it's the, the characters are very visceral and uh, they're easy to identify with. And that's why I like them. Yeah, with me, I, I don't consider myself to be an expert in Joshi by any stretch. Um, I, I put my fandom of it in the same class as my fandom of Lucha, where I know a lot of the big players and a lot of the medium players, and I, I've seen my fair share of it over the years, but I don't watch it with any regularity. Um, having said that, the Joshi that I have seen and, and sought out and, and was recommended to me over the years is just, just top-notch stuff. I mean, there are Joshi matches from back in the day that are considered to be just god-tier level matches by a lot of people. And a lot of the wrestlers on today's episode are in those matches. You know, you mentioned the names Akira Hokuto, Bull Nakano, Minami Toyota, Aja Kong. These are not just some of the best women's wrestlers of all time. They're some of the best wrestlers of all time, period, regardless of gender. And that's what's great about Joshi. You know, when the match is, is firing on all cylinders and it's just the best of the best, it goes beyond male, female, all of that. And people will just look back on it as a really great match, Joshi or otherwise. And, and of course, that's the way it should be with all wrestling, James. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at the signees for NXT recently of the women, they've all spent time in Joshi promotions. Like today, uh, actually one of my friends, Alpha Female, Jesse Gabbard, she signed with NXT UK today. And she really was the crucible of where she got really, really good was working for stardom. So, you know, it's a big influence on professional wrestling around the world and has been for a long while. Right, right, yeah. Now, when it comes to the music, you know, uh, I went for the heavy hitters here. Uh, If anybody listening is a big fan of Joshi and and classic Joshi, chances are that they've heard these songs a bunch of times. Uh, Me, I was relatively new to a lot of these songs at least in terms of listening to them in in this context on their own you know and what i noticed and what i appreciated really was the variety of it all Uh, again just as it should be with any type of wrestling the music doesn't skew in one particular direction it's not like every song is stereotypical East Asian music or Japanese synth pop, uh, which I think if this was, you know, the WWF or WCW, eh, that might have been the case. But but I, I think what this episode will prove is that there is no one type of Joshi music because we're going to play rock, we're going to play metal, 80s new wave, Latin pop, uh, smooth jazz, uh, pirate music, hint, hint. And, <laughs> and, and obviously the, the time period's have a bit to do with that, of course, but I just like how there's so much variety here with the music. Yeah, there is. I, it kind of like staggers me because there's, I mean, there is kind of like the, I wouldn't say the standard Japanese way of presenting a professional wrestler because there isn't really one, but you kind of, you have certain expectations when you listen to certain themes. And then as I was listening to this, it's like, the fact that certain songs pick out certain things with characters, and some of it's in- unintentional as well, I think we'll talk about. Like, the certain songs resonate with me differently now. I know more about those particular wrestlers um, and the way that their story panned out through their careers. Um, but equally, it is very diverse. It's a very diverse approach to presenting people. And, of course, you've got lots of different companies now, so that it's even more diverse now. All right, so uh, let's get to these themes here. Uh, like I said, there are ten of them. 
most of them from the 80s and 90s, but there are a few that are sort of contemporary as well. Uh, they're not in any chronological order either. We're just going to jump all over the decades here. Uh, let's start with a wrestler who you mentioned a little bit earlier there, uh, James. Very active in Japan right now, but also active the world over. This is Mako Satomura. Uh, Mako started in the Gaia promotion. Then when that closed down, she co-founded the Sendai Girls promotion. And she's wrestled pretty much everywhere, uh, not just in Japan, but in WCW, Chikara, WXW, OTT, Fight Club Pro. And uh, last year, she was in the Mayon Classic, WWE. So her theme is off of the album Sendai Girls Pro Wrestling Best Music Collection. And it's by the Sendai Girls Pro Wrestling Band. It's called Rock Your Life Away. I think it's the perfect one to start off with here because to me it's symbolic of the duality of Joshi. You start off with that that intro that this beautiful quaint elegant intro with the strings and the synths and the choir. It's it's a very beautiful piece of music, you know, it's like you're walking through a library level in a video game and then all of a sudden the switch is flipped. And we get rock guitars and big drums and big synths and oh yeah, oh yeah. It becomes this giant arena rock anthem that grabs you by the collar and says, "Wake up! It's time to rock." You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think when it comes to Joshi wrestlers in in general, there is an elegance and a beauty and a grace to them. Not just the way they look, but the way they dress with their outfits and the colors and the, the sheer pageantry of it all. But then they get in the ring and the match starts and that switch is flipped. And what once were these elegant, beautiful women have suddenly become murder machines. <laughs> you know, Yumeko Satomura, she comes out in the robe and does the bowing and just comes across as so dignified. Then the bell rings and as the song goes... She can blow you apart. She can eat you for lunch. And more often than not, she does. So I love the way that this song represents that duality that I think a lot of Joshi wrestlers have. This, you know, the, the dual nature of being an elegant badass, James. 
Yes, that is such a great way of putting it. Uh, walking death, Mako Satomura. Um, as we call her on our show, the greatest professional wrestler in the world today, Mako Satomura. Um, that's more me than the others. But yeah, she is just astoundingly good. And it is that level of grace that she brings to the ring and calm. Like even in tag matches when she's southern rope, she's not jumping up and down and screaming. She's observing. She's waiting for her moment. And then she just explodes with these flurries of kicks and offense. And I do love this song so much. I think <laughs> I was joking to myself that, you know, earlier today, that it was like, they should have just given up after all of the wrestling themes after this. <laughs> this is perfect. This does go perfectly. You know, you've got this bombast to it. You've got this grandeur to it. There's something I always go back with, Mako. If you watch the Gaia Girls documentary that Kim Longinito made in 2000, which was an in-depth documentary about Chigasona Gaia and Mako and Gaia Girls, she says in one piece, and she's almost in tears as she said it, because she lost the match against Sonora Kato, and it was like she wasn't getting booking, booked the way she thought she should be, or she wasn't being as successful as she thought she should be. And she says, you have to represent professional wrestling in the best way. And that, to me, has been the struggle she's had for the last 19 years to represent professional wrestling in the best way. And this song really presents her in the best way. It has that calmness to it, has that um, opening that, like you said, is so graceful, and then that power. And as well, the lyrics are kind of ambiguous. They fit together and they kind of tell a story, but if you took the sentences apart, they don't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> this is really weird. I mean, but like the chorus of yesterday's heroes will fight another day. You know, she is kind of a throwback to the glory days of Joshi. She was one of the first trainees of Gaia. She's a protege of Chigaso Nakamura. Uh, sorry, Chigaso Nagayo. Um, and her great heroes in wrestling were Billy Robinson, who I talked about earlier. Like, you know, I, I, I've talked to her a little bit on Twitter through Google Translate because I've written lots of articles about her, and she's very kindly responded to me. But she, she loved that Wigan style, that Wigan hard, straight-ahead wrestling style, which she's kind of adapted into her approach. You know, she's so committed that when she's doing downtime from wrestling, she goes to Thailand to practice Thai boxing. <laughs> this is the ultimate professional wrestler and this song is kind of like the ultimate professional wrestling anthem it trying to fit all of those things in yeah absolutely i agree with that yeah yeah and i think as well what this song is also you know why it's also good to start off with it's because a lot of the songs on this list here they do have this sense of triumph and a sense of, of hope about them uh, even though they are of different genres and styles, most of them do have this upbeat spirit, which certainly works in the world of wrestling because it gets the crowd pumped up and excited and reflects that sense of hope within the wrestlers. With this song, it is the music. It's it's that peppy synth line. And the rock and roll badassery. You know, it's an arena rock song. Plenty of good vibes here. Uh, reminds me of the band Asia. Yeah. With that kind of, you know, that, that safe prog rock sound from the 80s. And the lyrics, you know, as cheesy as they are, and, and believe me, these are some cheesy lyrics. You could, like, dump these lyrics on nachos and go to town, you know? <laughs> but but still, they, they do reflect that never-say-die warrior attitude that is so evident in someone like Mako. Thunder is here, lightning is on the way, yesterday's hero will fight another day. Rock your life away. I don't give a damn what games you play. Rock your life away. I'm aiming to win, and I'm here to stay. That sums up Mako Satomura to a T, James. 
yeah, they, they really do fit so well. It doesn't, isn't it like the most manly voice in the world? Yeah, it's like the sense of like real power behind the way he pronounces those words, and is like he's absolutely sure of himself when he's singing those words, and that's the delivery that I really, really like because again, it matches Miko. She's absolutely sure of herself. She doesn't make mistakes. Um, you know, she's, one of the reasons, one of the big jokes in the British wrestling scene is anyone who wrestles Mako dies, male, female, don't care how big you are, you get to die. <laughs> so, so the joke, the jokes on um, Martina, who's wrestling her, I would say Ma- Martina Sessionmoth, who's wrestling her at OTT. I sent her a message this week saying, "Sorry, you're gonna die, but you will let you away." Uh, one question, though, I, I do have about this song, and again, this is reflective of other songs on the list, is that it's credited to the Sendai Girls Pro Wrestling Band. I tried to look it up. Uh, I could not find any information about who that band is or the musicians in them. And when Mako was in Gaia before Sendai Girls, she did have a, an early version of this song by the Gaia band. Uh, again, who are they? I don't know, but <laughs> we'll see that later on, James, where a song will be credited to a promotion as opposed to an actual named artist or band, which I think is Eagle Parts fascinating and frustrating <laughs> i think yeah um a lot of it is like session musicians in japan and it's probably just somebody just paying off the musicians for one session um and that's the way they get like you know keep the rights cheaper basically for themselves so they're not having to repay it repay every time that they use it and if they own the rights for it that's it so um you know it's it's kind of like the vince mcmahon deal with wwe like in-house sound producers are going to be cheaper than actually using proper bands to do things uh, the next theme is for the Genius of the Sky, Io Shirai. Hey, that rhymes. Io <laughs> uh, is currently in NXT, but she is best known for her time in the Stardom promotion, where she was a big star and a multi-time champion for many years. Her theme song is by Kazuki Nagamachi, and it's off of the album Stardom New Generation. This is called Drama Over the Limit.
this one is interesting because there are like three different intros for it. Uh, there's the first one where it's very moody and ethereal and you hear the heartbeat in the background. Then it goes into this kind of percussive breakdown where the with the four, three, two, one countdown. And then finally it goes into the piano intro. And it builds up into the full body of the song, which is the techno piano mix there. So it's kind of like the Joshi version of Band on the Run by Wings, where there are multiple stages uh, before the actual song kicks in. Uh, but uh, seriously though, I, I do like when it gets to that piano part and it just builds and builds from there. And I think the whole song just sounds so cool, James. Yeah, I mean, this is, as you probably guess, as I'm a guitar guy, it's not necessarily my kind of thing. <laughs> However, she it does kind of match her character. She's such a free spirit, and especially when she was in Stardom, she was a free-spirited person. Um, like, the character was a free spirit. She was the one off doing nude photo shoots with the belt covering her the important bits and things like that, which she clearly enjoyed doing because she kept doing it. <laughs> um, so, you know, she's uh, a free spirit. She's a high flyer. It matches that. It kind of like It's kind of like an Ibiza club thing for me. You know, I, I would not see this out of place in, in, like, going to a club on a Friday night anywhere in Europe. It's just that kind of track. And there's a certain baby-facedness to that as well. It's going to get people into the into the character. It sets a tone for what she's trying to do, certainly. Um, and, it, okay, yeah, I put in my notes, unthreatening. It's very friendly. It's very bring you into what we're trying to do. It's not as in-your-face as, like, a regular wrestling theme which kind of makes a change for a big baby face in a company. It's trying to bring somebody together rather than, you know, be intimidating or kind of set that character tone like with the Mako song. This is a very different approach to presenting somebody. Yeah, and I do like as well how it differentiates itself from Mako's theme in terms of genre, and that is kind of a reflection of their different styles as wrestlers. You know, EO is the genius of the sky. She's the high flyer does the top rope moves, she's the flashier wrestler. It would make sense then that her theme song would have this super fast-paced kinetic spark that a genre like techno has. Not that Mako's theme doesn't have energy, of course it does certainly, but arena rock, hard rock, it, it, it's a much more tactile, grounded genre. And Mako, despite being pretty quick on her feet, is not a high flyer. She's a striker. She's a ground-and-pound Pokemon, so to speak. So it makes sense, then, that her theme song is rock. So I, I, I do like how the different genres of music coincide with their respective wrestlers' styles in the ring, which, of course, we'll see later on, too, uh, James. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as well, there's, like, um, there's different sections. There's like, it's kind of like a theme of variations. It's a very classical kind of way of presenting a piece of music. You've got a lot of ideas that you're repeating over and over again. And developing this uh, big soundscape from this very simple set of ideas, and the, I kind of like that a lot. I like the way it's just it, there's loads of looping ideas to bring you back in, which is kind of like a, a standard pop music thing. But I like the way it's been presented as a, an orchestration as well. It's not just a pounding hook just to keep you going. There's lots of layers to this, kind of like in the Shirai match. You know, there's. She's a good brawler. She's a good technical wrestler. She's an astounding aerial wrestler, probably the best in the world. So, you know, she's got lots of different approaches, and that kind of matches what she does, too. Yeah, and again, there is that sense of hope, that sense of wonder, 
And I think what gives it that is the piano. Uh, if this was just a, a plain old techno song, I wouldn't think much of it. But because there's that beautiful dun, 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 melody in there on the piano, it gives it that human touch and that little extra bit of emotion that can really hook you into a song. And when I close my eyes and listen to it, I do get this picture in my head of soaring above the clouds and flying. So it all kind of ties together there, uh, James. Yeah, definitely. Up next, we're going to go way back in time now to the 1980s and talk about one of the legendary Joshi tag teams, Norio Tatena and Itsuki Yamazaki, the Jumping Bomb Angels. And the Jumping Bomb Angels were not only big in Japan, but they also made it to the WWF for a little bit uh, because they were at one point WWF Women's Tag Team Champions, uh, the original version of that belt. Their theme song is by the Jumping Bomb Angels. There you go. It's off of the album JB Angels First Flight. This is called Stand in the Shadows. You know, I can practically hear the pastel leotards coming through the speakers with this one, because <laughs> this is a very specific kind of sound, one that can only come from the 80s. It's the sound that isn't fully pop, not fully new wave, not fully rock, it's kind of a, a blend of all three. It's the kind of music you would hear in an 80s movie where characters are doing aerobics. <laughs> and, and I don't mind that at all, I like 80s music a lot. The thing with this song is that it's not really an original song. Uh, the music is actually from a Billy Idol song called Do Not Stand in the Shadows. And what they did was they got rid of the lyrics, redid the music in more of a, a poppy sound, and then they had the angels come in and do new lyrics. Um, not a lot of new lyrics, mind you, but <laughs> it's, it's pretty much just J.B. J.B. Angels and the jumping angels later on that's pretty much it i think um but I, I think it is interesting that the producers of the song went with this billy idol deep cut really as the basis for their song james yeah i can i can actually build that guitar sound for you that's the reason why i brought a guitar with me would you like me to explain how that works go ahead right so you need first of all you need an electric guitar but then you need like the most distortion in the world and then you need to add a chorus pedal on top of that. And then you get your... 
like enough. you step back in time. <laughs> there you go. It's like 1982 all over again. <laughs> but basically, that's that's the sound they're using. They're using this chorus pedal built on top of distortion, kind of Billy Gibbons' 1970s Easy Top sound, but kind of calmed down, made punchier. Kind of, you know, you could tell the person who played this had been listening to Steve Stevens an awful lot. <laughs> It's kind of song that has its own bubble perm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I still enjoy it regardless of whether or not it's a quote-unquote original song because it's still fun. It's a fun little song. I, I, I do wish that there were more lyrics in it because I don't really have much else to say about it. But I will say that the song, it, it does have this spunky attitude to it. And it's very rah-rah, let's all root for the angels, kind of a cheerleading vibe to it, uh, especially with the J. B, J, B parts, they add to that sentiment because it's very chanty and, and the crowd can chant with it. So yeah, it's all very simple, very simple in how it conveys that face spirit, but simple is often a good thing, James. Yeah, I mean, I, this comes from a period of time, especially with like all Japan women, where they were, um, the, the wrestlers were making money from records. Right. You know, this was all part of the import of the company as far as the turnover was concerned. And it started really back with the beauty pair in the late 1970s, Jackie Sato and those guys. They were the ones who first started producing records to go along with their television presence. And they churned out tag teams by the dozen in the 80s and the 90s trying to capture that spirit. The Crush Girls were kind of like that to start with, but then they realized that we, they were a different horse altogether. And we'll talk about them later. But like the Jumping Bomb Angels were the closest to like that beauty pair aesthetic, good-looking pair of young women who could really go in the wrestling ring, who could sell their asses off. And they had other talents as well, which they explored in a limited fashion here. But again, it kind of matches exactly the characters that are after. The Jumping Bomb Angels were the plucky underdogs that really tried very hard against the... But Dump Masamoto and Bulnakano and uh, all these horrible people that were trying to do horrible, horrible things to them all the time. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they were a big money tag team for all Japan women, and hence the reason why they went to the WWF as well. Uh, there was a kind of a talent swap agreement. Dokaki Gome went, and Crush Girls went for a period of time with two. But Jumping Bomb Angels were the only ones that, out of the three... Really, the they were the, the third team in All Japan Women, but they were the ones that hit big in the United States. They were a big draw in New York. If you watch their matches on the WWE Network for Madison Square Garden, <laughs> very few people get pops like that in Madison Square Garden. So, you know, the, the music, the whole package was just right for the times and just right for that tag team. Yeah, yeah. And as we see today, there is still that really strong link between the worlds of Joshi and Japanese pop idols. Uh, right now, there's Maki Ito and the Up Up Girls in Tokyo Joshi Pro. Uh, there's the Stardom Idols brand that's in Stardom. That kind of combines uh, wrestling and singing and dancing. There was even, I, I think, a, a TV drama in Japan called Tofu Pro Wrestling, which had pop idols from the AKB48 group and other groups as well acting in it. And they even ran a few shows in real life, too. So there is still just a ton of cross-pollination between Joshi and Pop Idols. And this song, even though it wasn't the first, obviously, it, you can look at it as an early example of that kind of crossover. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, you know, the, the I do love the Jumping Bond Angels, and just what they did in, in the wrestling industry was outstanding as well, considering where they were at the time. 
like AJW becomes this pressure cooker in this particular time period from now until around about, well, about 1998 when the pressure comes off a little bit. But, you know, there's like a 15-year period where you had to be the best wrestler on earth to just get in the company, you know, and they were they were there. They were two of the best wrestlers on the female wrestlers on the planet at the time, and they were an outstanding tag team. They were a great babyface tag team. The matches they had with Dump and Bull Nakano kind of set up Bull Nakano to take over the company as a singles wrestler in the next couple of years as well. And from the music point of view, the song, I just love the bounce to it. It's got yeah. really catchy. Like you said, it is a teen movie song. It's a, it's a perfect kind of like teen movie song. You could see this on the soundtrack to, um, I've forgotten any now, <laughs> uh, John Hughes films. Well, maybe not John Hughes films, but certainly things like uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's the film I was yeah, thinking of. That movie, you know, that that sound is very kind of uh, just that period of time just make me go back to those films, like maybe Chevy Chase films and things like that as well. That Caddy um, Shack, things like that. That's kind of the film I'm thinking of. It does make me think very much of that time period. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Wrestler number four, and it's funny, I, uh, I brought up the song you did, James, called Northern Lights Bomb earlier. Well, this lady invented the Northern Lights Bomb. Uh, this is the Dangerous Queen, Akira Hokuto, considered by many to be the greatest Joshi wrestler of all time, a lauded multi-time champion in All Japan Women's. She's also, fun fact, the first and pretty much only WCW Women's Champion in History. Her theme is by Latin pop sensation Luis Miguel. This is off of his album Veinte Años, or 20 Years in English. This is called Oro de Ley. Outside of any context that has to do with wrestling or Akira Hokuto or stuff like that, I found myself enjoying this song immensely. I, I don't even consider myself to be a fan of Latin pop music, but when this thing came on, my toes were tapping. And really, <laughs> how can you not enjoy this song? Because it's so damn catchy. The vocals, the yacht rock guitars, the horns, the background singers, it's got everything, really. So... Yeah, this song gets a big thumbs up from me. Now, with that in mind, though, um, trying to relate it in some way to Akira Hokuto, it's not that easy. But before we get to all that, uh, James, uh, what do you think about this song? I d yeah, I do like it. I like that, the, that guitar riff. I like the kind of jazz fusion approach to the lead guitar. 
I, I like the the way it's just played. Just generally, I like. I'm, I'm, I don't listen to a lot of foreign language music, but I would listen to this. You know, it's it's got an interesting guitar sound as well, like a wah wah stuck in position, and you know, getting that really crisp sound that they've got there. I like a lot of the production on it as well. Everything's really, really cool about this piece of music. I could sit and listen to this quite happily. However, it doesn't really match Kira Hokuto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, on its own, on its own, the song is great. But when you put it in the context of an entrance theme for a woman whose nickname is the Dangerous Queen, you know, it's it's a bit awkward because here you have a full-fledged love song that is about someone being completely devoted to their lover. Uh, I mean, some of the translated lyrics are like the most saccharine, gushing lyrics around. Believe me when I'm talking to you, it is my heart speaking. And when I'm making love to you and begin to feel like I'm dying, I'm never more genuine than at that moment. It's not Mike and Maria Canell's coming out to this song. You know, it's Akira Hokuto, who in her prime was one of the toughest fiercest looking women on the planet with the devil mask and that hook mask the makeup the empress cloak and oh yeah a fucking sword so <laughs> you, you you don't look at her and think spanish pop song yeah it, it's an odd mix james you know well i mean this song came out in 1990 and around about that time akira hokuto was still pretty much a straight up baby face um, she had made a debut in 86. She was part of the class of 86, which is a, <laughs> a class that included Aja Kong and, uh, Manami Suzuki and, uh, Combat Toyota and, um, Megumi Kudo. By the way, Combat Toyota and Megumi Kudo were considered not good enough for AJW at that period of time, which will tell you how insanely good everybody else was. Um, <laughs> but she was, a straight up and down babyface and she wrestled under her real name and then she was in a tag team title match and she broke her neck in the first fall and wrestled the next two falls with a broken neck i'm not kidding you can watch the video if you want but i would suggest you don't because it's a bit grim mm. uh, but she did actually wrestle with a broken neck clearly had to take some time off took a year off and she came back as this stoic babyface, much in the same way that Mika Satomura is now. That big influence on Mika Satomura. They worked together a lot in Gaia. Uh, but she was kind of this stoic babyface. And then she went off to Mexico for a year to work for CMLL for a period of time. And she came back as this big, badass heel. And she got a group of wrestlers around her that were called the LCO, Los Cacajeras Orientales, the Oriental Bitches. Then, <laughs> Not nice people, as you can imagine. But, and, and funnily enough, there's this other wrestler that did something similar recently. Uh, we'll, we'll not mention him. But Yeah, yeah he was the, some sort of king, I think. Uh, had kind of a, a strong style presence to him, perhaps. <laughs> along those lines. Anyway, uh, but yeah, Akira Hokuto was, then became the dangerous queen. The badass. The Shinobi Kandori at Reeb Slam 1. Hair bleeding, blonde hair pink that wrestler the iconic latino inspired outfits wrestler that has a slight link to this song because you know she was inspired by mexican kind of culture and mexican approach to professional wrestling but she is not a when you have the first thing i think of akira okuto is not a you know latin pop song 
Yeah, I mean, she might be the toughest female wrestler ever. Because, like you said, she broke her neck in a match and still wrestled till it was over. Uh, at another time, she tore her leg open on a guardrail really badly in a match against Minami Toyota. Could not walk on that leg at all. And she still dragged herself back into the ring to try to keep wrestling. And they had to convince her to stop wrestling. She's legit tougher than either of us and anybody listening combined. No doubt about it. And here she is coming out to... <laughs> but, you know, I, I guess if you're that much of a badass... Yeah. You can kind of come out to whatever song you want. Because who's going to tell her no, right? <laughs> no, I mean, like if Minoru Suzuki came out to clown you... No one's going to argue. Because it's Minoru friggin' Suzuki. <laughs> And it's kind of the same effect, but Akira Okuto, yeah, she's, she's badass, and she's like the toughest wrestler I've ever come across, um, and her matches reflect that as well. I and mean, also, there was, you've got to bear in mind how good she was. Like we were saying, she is classed as one of the greatest women wrestlers of all time. She graduated the guy, sorry, the AJW Dojo in 2000, in 1986. She was teaching class in 1987. And some of the, her students sent on to be the greatest wrestlers who ever lived, which will tell you how good she was from a very, very early age. So, yeah, I mean, it, from musically, I like the song, love the wrestler, not sure that the two go together, though. I mean, if you think about it, she is married to Kensuke Sasaki, and they have been madly in love with each other since, like, day one, because Sasaki proposed to her after the first date. So in an odd turnabout way, I, you know, this overflowing with romance song, it, it kind of ends up working for her after all. <laughs> it does, but she chose this song just after she got divorced from her first husband. Well, that does put a damper on things, I'd say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the man, responsible, the man responsible for that particular relationship, the two men responsible, Antonio Inoki and Eric Bischoff. See to that what you will. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, leave it at that, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, the next wrestler on our list here is another All Japan Women's Legend, another lauded multi-time champion, and is also considered by many to be the greatest Joshi wrestler of all time, has 14 five-star matches from Dave Meltzer to her name, more than any other woman in history. Her name is Manami Toyota. And one of her themes, she's had quite a few actually, is off of the album Complete All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling. This is called Mystic Eyes. <laughs>
So unlike a lot of the previous songs that we've played so far, this is a complete instrumental, and I don't really know how to identify it exactly. It's kind of a jazz rock, jazz fusion kind of song, I suppose. Lots of horns, lots of keyboards, guitars, bass, whatnot. Almost has like a casino zone quality to it, you know, that kind of flavor. Uh, also reminds me of Ryo Saito's theme from Dragon Gate. It's a very fast-paced song, has a lot of forward momentum to it, go, go, go. Not as explosive as Rock Your Life Away or Drama Over the Limit, but the pace is certainly there. And the musicianship is also really good. So yeah, another theme here that I have to give a thumbs up to, James. Yeah, I, I do. It really fits, I think, Minami Toyota better than certainly the Akira Hokuto theme that we were looking to before, just basically because it's very technically difficult to play all this stuff at this speed. It's really just hard music, and it's music. It's easy to appreciate, but it's hard music to to play. And I think you know that kind of suits Minami Toyota. She is undoubtedly, in my mind, the greatest professional wrestler that ever lived. And she had as much technical, much technical technical expertise as any wrestler I've, I've ever seen, and I think that matches it. My friend Chelsea Spollen, who uh, edits uh, ShouldersUp.net, she describes uh, Manami Toyota as the person that gives the most graceful beatings, <laughs> and I, that, this song does that. It's kind of like it's beating you over the head with how good these guys are, <laughs> and that's it for me. It's it's such a, a, a technically adept song. And if you like watch the promo videos of her at the time period when she became a big star and she was leading AJW, they often had her like going off shopping and buying new outfits and she was kind of like this fashion plate character. Uh, and that kind of matches in with this music, I think, as well. And it's, it's kind of driving. There's a kind of an offbeat kind of feel to it and the drums that are, uh, make it stand out and make it kind of catchy. The one thing it really reminded me of um, is the anime uh, based on the manga Gunsmith Cats and the theme to that is very very similar to this in um, the sense of a big jazz fusion style of piece of music and actually if you look at the character of Rally Vincent she looks kind of similar to Manami Toyota with like this, the the elegant thin body and uh, hair, the black haircut as well so it, it kind of reminded me of that though one came out after the other I'm wondering if one was influenced by the other made it a song choice that was influenced by the other but yeah, to me, it is just like, it's technically adept, it's exciting, it's not like as bombastic as in your face, but that's not Manami Toyota. Manami Toyota is the person that's going to beat you because she's better than you. That's what her kind of modus operandi is, that's where she's coming from, and this song kind of does that as well. It's going to bring you in, take you for a ride, and you're going to see the best thing that you can possibly see. Right, there's a real sense of seriousness and class and dignity here. Like, again, this song is not Rock Your Life Away, which has a healthy dose of cheesiness to it because of the lyrics. Same with Oro Delay, which is a lovey-dovey pop song in Spanish. Mystic Eyes, I, I think you do take it a little bit more seriously and put it in a more dignified space because a the jazz genre is typically considered classier than most other music genres and b all you hear is the music and how well it's performed there are no lyrics to get in the way of that and with manami toyota i feel the same way uh, i think of her as someone who when she was still wrestling she brought such a high level of class and seriousness and dignity 
Not that, you know, other wrestlers of her time weren't serious, obviously, but with her, I don't see a larger-than-life character like I do with Akira Hokuto or Bull Nakano. All I see is the wrestler. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I got to see Minami Toyota wrestle live a couple of years ago. She came to Pro Wrestling Eve just before her retirement run. Um, Dan and Emily, who promote Pro Wrestling Eve, seem to have this knack of picking up wrestlers who are about to retire. I'm <laughs> putting them in just the right place at the right time. Um, and watching the crowd react to this piece of music was really interesting as well because there isn't like that big bombastic hook of there's not the stone cold broken glass or, you know, do you smell it? But people recognize this and react to it in the same way. And a lot of the same with a lot of these Joshi themes. One of my favorite like memories of being at a pro wrestling show was Wrestle Queendom last year, again, Pro Wrestling Eve, and people singing along to make us out more theme, which I never thought I'd ever hear. Because in Japan, of course, it's in English, so they don't sing along. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas here, everyone's, everyone knew all the words and everyone sang along. So, you know, these themes do resonate internationally as well. It's not just uh, a Japanese phenomenon. Um, and certainly with Minami, it, it kind of it became part of her character. It really did and became part of that big introduction as well. You also have to remember that like on the biggest shows for All Japan Women, you've got the, they were doing the Tokyo Dome. They were doing Yokohama Arena. Those are big, long walks that they have to fill time with. And the big, big intro was a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. And you can go back and look at other songs that she has used in her career. They all sound pretty similar to this one. Uh, she had a song before Mystic Eyes called Grind, and she had a song after Mystic Eyes called Queen of Queens, and they're both very much in the same vein as this one, where it's that jazzy, fusiony kind of rock sound. There are differences, of course, between them, obviously, but it's clear that throughout her career, Manami was very consistent with the kind of music she came out to. Yeah, I mean, she's... She wasn't really, I mean, from a character point of view, she isn't really a face and she isn't really a heel. She was just Manami Toyota. Right. You know, there were times when the fans loved her and there were times when the fans didn't agree with her. She did turn heel when she first went to Gaia. She, sorry, went to Oz Academy. After Gaia closed down, she went to Oz Academy and she was part of uh, Sigikyun there. And that meant she was the baddest of badasses because that's, you, if you were wrestling for Mayumi Ozaki and you were in her crew, you are Queen Rule Breaker. That's, that's the deal. But, you know, she didn't wrestle any different to what she did before, to be honest, because she's a smash mouth wrestler in that sense. She will break the rules if she needs to. She's not averse to doing that to get her own way. And that's still part of the character. There is the dignity and the class there, but the will to win wins out over everything else. All right. So we're halfway through the list here. And uh, the next Joshi wrestler is. Yes, another all-Japan women's legend. Yes, another lauded multi-time champion. And yes, she is also considered by many to be the greatest Joshi wrestler of all time. Are you sensing a pattern here, folks? (laughs) This is Bull Nakano. And the theme here is also off of complete all-Japan women's pro wrestling. It's called Empress Boss of the World.
So the mood has just changed dramatically. You know, we've had some fun and games so far. You know, we've had some giggles and guffaws with the arena rock and the Latin pop and the techno and so forth. But playtime's over, kids, okay? Because here comes Bull Nakano's theme. I mean, when a theme song starts with bum 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 dun bum 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 dun bum 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 and then a crash of thunder into just these evil, chunky metal guitarists, you know you're in for a diabolical time. I mean, this is just a straight-up apocalyptic Mad Max end-of-the-world here-comes-the-hammer-of-doom wrestling theme with the guitar and the high-pitched synth strings and the ominous choir and the harpsichord. It immediately creates an oh-shit atmosphere. <laughs> and when you've got Bull Nakano coming out to the ring... An oh shit atmosphere is exactly what you want, James. Oh yeah, uh, Bull was something else to watch in that particular time period when she started using this theme, which she'd set up her own organization within all Japan wrestling, token over Gokaki Dome, and made it kind of a babyface organization. But she's still Bull Nakano. She's still bigger than everybody else. She's still bulldozing her way through people with a grimace on her face. Uh, but yeah, and. I, and also, noticeably, this is the only minor key one we've looked at so far. So that means that it's going to be darker, it's going to be more in your face just by changing a couple of notes around. But again, it's all about the dynamics, that big thumping bass drum intro to get you started and then off into these big slow power chords that grind their way through the song. And it's there's nothing really comparable to it, really. I, I guess kind of like the Vader theme in WWE was very kind of similar, big chunky chords kind of thing but it's not as scary as this is definitely not no 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 I, I mean a song like this has final boss written all over it because it is so foreboding and ominous but it's also epic and grand in scale and over the top you know as intimidating and as scary as akira hokuto could be she's still coming out to oro delay so there's a little disconnect there with this song, there is no disconnect. You do feel like Bull Nakano is truly the boss of the world, and this truly is her song, no doubt about it. And what's great about it, too, is that you can have a Manami Toyota come out with her babyface-ish, serious, dignified jazz rock song as a foil to this one. And you can set it up as the big bad monster versus the valiant straight-ahead hero, and the music will play into that story to a T. Yeah, definitely. This it, it's not. I mean, Ball coming into the company as like the champion when she took over from uh, the Crush Girls. Really, she kind of like needed to reset the tone. The, the singles champions before her had kind of about it as in a professional wrestling, a different way. Really, the most notable one being Jackie Yokota, who's very graceful, very you know technically adept. Bull was trying to change the style. She, you know, recently admitted in the in a Japanese interview that she was quite open about the fact she was on steroids at the time. She was trying to change the way women's wrestling looked and change the way that she could approach it to make herself stand out and be different. You know, um, she was going for size. She was, but she's still an incredibly technically gifted wrestler. She's a big influence on Paige in the WWE. You know, her finisher obviously was uh, borrowed from from Bull Nakano. 
but yeah, it, she's uh, she's trying to change the way the wrestling business is done in Japan, and she's doing it uh, in her way, very very clearly. And the music matches up with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is a case where when it comes to Bull and this song, one complements the other so well. You know, I mean, there, there are wrestlers where their look or their attitude or their 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 aura don't really mesh well with their theme songs, and it kind of diminishes the total package. Here it's perfect, because with Bull, you've got the makeup, with the lines going up her face, the the, the giant hairdo, the, the moveset that's just so deadly and painful looking with the Bulls Poseidon, the leg drop, the scorpion crosslock, just the mean look on her face, the fact that, yeah, she was bigger than most other Joshi wrestlers ever of her time. When you pair all of that up with this super doom and gloom theme song it makes her seem so much scarier and so much more intimidating and it also makes the theme song scarier because it's fucking bull nakano coming out to it so her and the song just gel together so well james yeah definitely big pentatonic riffs this wouldn't sound out of place on a black sabbath album yeah it's just brilliant and a brilliant choice of music for the right wrestler yeah, yeah, and again, like Manami Toyota, Bull Nakano and her themes, she kind of had a type, because when she was in CMLL, she came out to a Megadeth song, <laughs> and she also had a song in All Japan Women's called Genocide. So, yeah, she kind of has a type when it comes to her themes, and as she should, because she's fucking Bull Nakano, you know? She's awesome. <laughs> she used to wear Megadeth t-shirts to wrestling as well. She had like a, an array between between Gokaki Dome ball with the side shaving and the swimsuits and then between the championship era ball where she got better gear she used to wear like she'd wear like footless tights wrestle barefoot kick pads maybe <laughs> <laughs> and a mega t-shirt you know she's pretty straight ahead really <laughs> somebody who's got hair directly straight up about a foot above her head wrestling barefoot wearing a megadeth t-shirt they don't care none and they definitely don't care about you Certainly not. Uh, certainly not. <laughs> um, we're going to go back now to the 80s here with this one and talk about another classic Joshi tag team, Chigusa Nagayo and Lioness Asuka, the Crush Gals, arguably the most successful women's tag team ever, both in terms of wrestling success and also mainstream crossover appeal, because not only were they wrestlers, as you mentioned before, they were singers. They put out a bunch of albums and singles, uh, including their theme song. This is off of their album, Square Jungle. This is called Rolling Sabat, Theme of Crush Gals.
So this is another 80s popish new wavy rock song, much like the Angels theme. Uh, although this one probably skews more towards the funky side of things with that slapping bass in the mix and the horn section. The big, big, big difference though here is that this song feels like a much bigger deal and a much more complete song than the Angels theme because they're not taking another song and using it as the base of their own. This is a brand new song with a full band. Uh, the Crush Gals have way more vocals as well than the Angels did. Uh, they, they do sing a lot here. Um, has the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus structure too. Uh, it, it does feel like a real, honest-to-goodness pop song, as opposed to the Angels theme where they're, they're just occasionally singing over another song. So yeah, the Crush Gals, they really swung with the fences here, and I think they hit a real big home run with this one, James. Yes, I think these were the. I think the Crush Girls were the biggest record sellers out of all the AJW women. I mean, they were massive. They were hugely over. Like Hulk Hogan thinks he's over, but he wasn't the Crush Girls in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was. They were just astoundingly over. I was watching some AJW classics the other day, and it's just the from the moment they're announced, it's just screaming teenage girls screaming and screaming and screaming. And then they get in the ring and they scream some more. And I don't know how they had the energy to keep that up for like 40 minutes of a main event of a show. You've never seen anything like it. And the music does kind of match that in the sense, like you were saying, it's kind of jarring as well. There's this crush, with the, with the crash break um, in the opening sequence. And it just stops and starts. But it doesn't start on the beat or off the beat. It starts halfway between a beat. It's like a semi And it just gets back in again. And it fits, and it's musical, but it's jarring. And it's kind of, I think that's kind of an experience you get with the Crush Girls. They're jarring in a different way to other tag teams. It's not like jarring like Bolnacano is jarring to your vision. They're jarring in the sense of, here are these two baby faces, but they don't look like baby faces. They're kind of plain, and they just come into the ring in swimsuits and boots, and they've got these stern expressions on their faces, and they're really stoic, and they're badasses and they're going to kill you because you stand between them and their championship. But they're still the baby faces. They're still the ones who are most over. And that's that's kind of like an offset against what they're going to do. You go with the Jumping Bomb Angels, they are sweet girl next door types who wrestle really well, whereas the Crush Girls are something very, very different. And uh, also as well, they could actually sing. <laughs> yeah, they're good. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, which is when you're like trying to create a media invention. If they actually have talent, that does help. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, even now today, Chigasuna Gayo has her own promotion called Marvelous. They run shows all the time, and on some of their bigger shows, Chigasaw has been known to put the band together and sing lead vocals for everybody's theme song at the show. <laughs> Uh, including one night I was watching it, and Chigasaw Nagayo is actually singing the theme song of Dump Matsumoto, who's in the ring, stood watching it, going, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> because it's like Dump Matsumoto, I've tried to murder you on national television several times, <laughs> and you're stood there singing my song? Yes, um, but yeah, it's it, the Crush Girls knew what they were doing when it came to music, as well as women, what they're doing when it came to wrestling. One of the big big angles that uh, Chigasaw Nagayo had with Dump Matsumoto was Dump interrupting and attacking the Crush Girls during a concert, and that's where they had a hair-versus-hair-match feud. 
but yeah, the song is brilliant. I think it's really, really well done. And how many song, wrestling songs and theme songs list the entire moveset of the tag team? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pile driver, spinning toehold, Western lariat, giant swing, brain buster, rolling sabot. They're all in there. And and yeah, and keep in mind, this is '84. We're talking about here. This type of entrance theme, where it is so explicit about the wrestlers and their moves, you're not getting this kind of song practically anywhere else, really. So this is a real trendsetter here. Yeah, definitely. And it's slightly, again, it's, I don't understand why they listed them in English. Because the audience wouldn't understand what they were talking about. Well, the whole about. song's in English. I yeah. mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, yeah. they do sing it well enough for native Japanese speakers, don't get me wrong. Uh, they might be doing it phonetically, for all I know. But uh, yeah, as far as the lyrics go, again, it's all very simple stuff. Uh, you've got the crush refrain, which I like a lot. That's pretty fun. The whoa, whoa, whoa that's, that's fun too. Uh, can you feel the excitement? Can you feel the power? Are you ready for action? Everyone is a champion. Everyone is a winner. Keep on trying forever victory. It's motivational. It's rallying the fans and building the fan base and getting everybody together. It's wrestling theme 101. So it's simple, but it works, James. Yeah, definitely. And think about this too. Um, again, this is 84. The Crush Gals are singing their own theme song. Forget English versus Japanese. How many wrestlers in 1984 are singing their own theme song? Because I, I do wonder that. There was, you know, Michael Hayes with Bad Street USA, which I think was the year before. But besides that, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank here. So, again, kudos to the Crush Gals for being trendsetters here. I mean, certainly, I mean, like I said, it's it, kind of an AJW thing. Beauty Pair did something similar. Jackie Yakota had a really long musical career, actually. She went through, after she retired and had some time that she ran the AJW Dojo for a couple of years, she was in a she's in a band and she still is in her fifties now and she still wrestles occasionally and she's still in a band in a punk band, um, but she's actually quite a good classically trained singer too. Well, we just had some fun eighties rock there with the Crush Gals. Uh, this next theme is also from the eighties, but it's considerably a lot heavier than uh, what the Crush Gals had to offer, and that's appropriate because this next wrestler is Aja Kong. And when you think of the biggest and the baddest that Joshi has to offer, you think of Aja Kong. Her theme is by Judas Priest off the album Screaming for Vengeance. This is the one-two punch of the Hellion into Electric Eye.
I think a lot of what we said about Bull Nakano and her theme can be transplanted over to this theme because they're both similar genres. Uh, they're both badass metal songs. And Electric Eye, as soon as it hits with the Hellion intro and you hear the the atmosphere in the room changes because there is nothing pleasant or nice or happy about that riff. It's a bit majestic in tone, I think, but it's not like, oh, here comes friendly Asha Kong. It's more like, here comes the conqueror. Here comes the warlord. Here comes the end, Aja Kong. Uh, and then it goes into Electric Eye, which is this aggressive, fast-paced metal song. And with Aja Kong, yeah, I'd say that fits her pretty well, James. Yeah, I it, this fits, doesn't it? <laughs> this is this is kind of perfect again. This is a this is such a good song choice for her as well. I mean, I I actually love those those pinch harmonics you get. Uh, where are we? My favorite things in a guitar solo, if you, if you can hear them, like in a metal solo, if you don't have pinch harmonics in a metal solo, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, another minor chord song, so the minor key song, so it's going to have the darkness to it, but it fits so well with the speed, the build up. I mean, we talked about the Mako song earlier. I think this kind of, if you're looking for a formula for a good Joshi song, a nice slow intro where you can tell one story and then a main part where you can tell the rest of the story is, I think, is important. And I think this works really, really well here. Something I noticed, which is kind of like after the fact, but I think you look at Judas Priest and you've got Rob Holford on, on league vocals here. Both Rob Holford and Isaac Kong are outsiders in... And it didn't become aware. We didn't become aware of this until 10 or 15 years later. I mean, Rob Halford is a gay man who was working in a heavy metal band in the 80s in Judas Priest, and that's pretty as much as outsider as you're going to get when you come from Birmingham. To be on, to be blunt. <laughs> but Aja Kong is an outsider too. You know, she is the daughter of a mixed race parentage. She's of African American and Japanese parentage, and they didn't want her. You know, they didn't want her to be a success. There is a vein of nationalism and a vein of uh, xenophobia in Japan that says, you know, that she should not be a star. And she defined or defied all that, as Rob Holford did with Judas Priest. He defied the expectation of what a gay man could do in the particular environment. And they both became absolute experts in doing their particular thing, their particular art form, better than most other people on the planet. You know, and Aja Kong, to me, is the ultimate monster heel. She is exactly what a monster heel is supposed to be like. She's intimidating, but she can also wrestle as well. She's got an incredible creative mind. She's booked wrestling companies before, and she's been a big draw wherever she's gone, and she's 48 years old, and last year she won Match of the Year Award in Oz Academy at 48. <laughs> so, you know, she is really, really, really good at what she does, but I think this song really matches her well, her other theme, the jungle theme, I am a big fan of as well because it's got some of the best lyric writing in uh, music, uh, wrestling music. Uh, the line, when, when God made the, the God made the devil just for fun, but when he wanted the real thing, he made Aja Kong. That's a great line. That's a that's a really great line. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. Again, like Bull Nakano and her theme, I think the total Aja Kong package just makes this song sound so much more badass 
and intimidating because Aja is not a petite lady by any stretch. Uh, she's not a zippy speedster like Io Shirai. She lives up to the name Kong. Big, mean, tough, powerful, has a back fist that'll knock your teeth out. She has the face paint that makes it look like an ancient warrior. I mean, to put it simply, you do not fuck with her. Ever. And when she comes out with this song, it creates an image of sheer awe and might that very few people can match. So even though Aja Kong may not wear the leather and the studs like Rob Halford does, the way she wrestles, the way her character is, it all meshes so well with the sound and the fury and the hellbent for leather attitude and ethos of Judas Priest. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? I was thinking about this too, actually, uh, with Electric Eye. The song itself is based on 1984 by George Orwell and the whole concept of the surveillance state and the all-seeing eye in the sky that watches everything you do. And at first I was thinking, okay, what does that have to do with Aja Kong, of all people? But then I realized, you know, Aja Kong is always traveling around to different promotions. Uh, I think her main promotion now is Oz Academy, but, you know, she's been in Diana, she's been in Sendai Girls, Ice Ribbon, Wave... Uh, she's been to Eve in the UK, Shimmer in the US. She was in the WWF in the mid-90s with Bull Nakano. So Asha Kong has pretty much been everywhere. And much like the Electric Eye, if you decide to step up to her and decide to take her down and say, you know, hey, Missy, I'm going to beat you in that ring. Well, chances are it's going to end badly, James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she knows everything as well. She sees... Well into the future. I mean, one of her protégés through her wrestling career is Rieko Amada, who's become, you know, up until recently, has become one of the biggest draws in Joshi. She was a massive draw in Arceon. Um, and she's been responsible for looking after and bringing up no end of wrestlers in the wrestling industry. She's such a matriarch for pro wrestling. She doesn't have a home base like, say, Miko Satomura does. To an extent, she does in Oz Academy, but they're only just bringing on younger wrestlers now because Oz Academy is kind of like the established company. But um, yeah, they she she has got such a good vision for pro wrestling and making great matches with everyone and anyone. You know, she gives gives everyone so much. Um, I was watching a recent tournament match of hers in Oz Academy, and she's wrestling a, a young girl who's only had like a couple of years in the business, and she could have killed her, and no one would have minded. <laughs> <laughs> but she gave her. She gave her the opportunity to shine, and she wants to do that. She wants to make people look good. Yeah, and uh, now she's going to be at uh, AEW, Double or Nothing, which I think is just so awesome for that. I mean, that's a great get for them, you know? And, and I'm excited to see Aja Kong wrestle again on a big American platform like that, which I don't think she's done in years, years and years. So, yeah, I, I doubt that they'll let her use Electric Eye, obviously, but... Uh, just the fact that she's going to be wrestling at a high-profile event in America again after so long, it, it's so cool regardless. Yeah, maybe maybe Cody will pop for the jungle theme. Um, I'm, I'm, well, AJW probably made it, and they've been out of business for years, so I'm sure he can figure out how to get hold of that. Well, the album's out there, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. out there. <laughs> Our uh, second-to-last wrestler is another one that is currently in NXT, we know her now as Kyrie Zane, but prior to NXT, she was Kyrie Hojo from Stardom. 
But no matter what her last name is, she has always been the pirate princess. Sorry, yachting enthusiast princess. <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with the sweetest looking elbow drop in the world. Uh, her theme in Stardom is available on Stardom New Generation. It's by Kuritaka, and it's called Last Voyage. So I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to figure out why this song is just perfect for Kyrie. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of kind of self-explanatory, really. Uh, she's the pirate princess, and here we have just the jauntiest pirate music around. With the orchestration and the violins and the oh, vocals, it immediately conjures up images of the open sea and buried treasure and guys running around going, you know, raise the sails, you scallywags, or you'll walk the plank. But yeah, this is just a delightful theme that makes me smile whenever I hear it. And that's true for Kyrie as well, because she might be the most delightful, adorable person who's ever lived, James. <laughs> yes, she is. She's, she's tiny and lovely. And she's really, really nice. I mean, this song just, just sits her to a T. You know, big soaring keyboards. Actually reminds me of video game music. Like, I'd hear this in Final Fantasy something or other. Not that I've ever played Final Fantasy or video games generally, but it sounds like a video game piece of music to me. Um, but it's kind of, like, representative of what she does. I love, like, how the orchestration works and how everything fits together. Big soaring keyboard parts. Darker sections. There's a nice B section in there that makes things a bit darker, so you kind of, like, appreciate the lighter sections when they come back. Um, I, I just love Kari Hojo. Chris just, and Kari Sane. She's just so nice. I met her. Um, I, met, I met the entire Stardom crew one one day um, uh, when they did their first show in the UK. That it came as a tour, and uh, they're just lovely people, <laughs> really, really nice people. Um, and she was tagging with Jazzy Gabbert at the time. Um, Jazzy, the most angry alpha female, pissed off wrestler there is, ended up tagging with Kyrie because Kyrie decided she was pissed off as well. And if you haven't seen Kyrie saying "pissed off," it's hilarious. Because she said she said she just copies Jazzy, because Jazzy's her best mate, <laughs> and she just copies her, and it's like this tiny, wee, pleasant-looking woman trying to be like a big bad German, and it doesn't necessarily work, but it does in a, such a comedy way. And I have to say, like, we saw them at Tooting Tram and Social, which is a pub in South London, and watching Kyrie saying "drop an elbow in a pub" is just a life-changing experience that you may never across anything else but yeah the music is absolutely perfect for what she is as a character 
And again, it kind of matches that Io Shirai thing, not going for the obvious thing. Rock music's the obvious thing for wrestling theme tunes. Don't go there all the time, because you will eventually run out of themes that you need. Yeah, what I like about it too is that the main body of the song is this jaunty, thrilling pirate music, and it does fill you with that sense of adventure and excitement and yo-ho-ho and all that stuff. But then there are other parts where the music kind of dies down a little bit, and it just focuses on this pretty little piano solo, and then slowly it builds back up into the, the thrilling adventure music. So there are these moments of thrill and excitement, sure, but there are also those moments of serenity and calm and innocence. And again, I think that's true to life for Kyrie because there are times where she is so adorable and sweet and you just want to hug her forever. And there are times where she's wrestling, where the pace picks up and she gets very intense and exciting. So I think that aspect of the song is uh, pretty cool too, James. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, again, there's layers, there's layers to Kyrie. She isn't just straight up and down one thing. Um, and she... She does do so many different layered things, and especially like you watched her grow as when she was Stardom, when her World of Spring, World Wondering Stardom Championship run, she grew so much as a professional. Like you know when she took the took the title and had all these challenges, um, and eventually before she dropped the belt back to Mako, it was you know that's that's the kind of journey she takes you on. It's an emotional ride. I've been watching her since she was a rookie and. You know, seeing her now in NXT, when I get a chance to watch that, I see how she's grown and got better. She doesn't do too many things that are different and new. She's just kind of like the perfect package. She just has refined them and made them better and made them resonate more emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, now Kyrie is in WWE with her new theme, The Next Voyage, which uh, it, it does sound pretty similar to this one, I think. Uh, the big difference being the yo-ho, yo-ho. Yo-ho, yo-ho part, but uh, other than that, the songs, they do sound a lot alike. But uh, then again, then again, how different a song can you make within the pretty small genre of jaunty pirate music? You know, once you've heard one of those songs, you kind of heard them all. And it is Kyrie Zane. Any other type of song really wouldn't fit her gimmick at all. So I'm totally fine with CFOs pretty much cribbing this song for their own. Well, to be honest with you, I, as I said, I'm a music teacher. Last year we took our year twos, so they're about six to seven years old, to a big production in our local big community theater, and the theme was the seaside. And there was a lot of songs that sounded like this. They were all good, don't get me wrong, but there's only so much you can do with a sea shanty, six, eight time, and a nuts melody. And after that, you've got to make it sing-alongable as well, because <laughs> It's a sea shanty. Everyone's supposed to be able to sing along with you. So technically, there isn't a lot you can do with this. Um, as far just, I will just add this though. My favorite thing that I've done with music and wrestling, um, we do a thing called Mystery Song of the Week for music appreciation with Year Three and Four. And early this year, I played Minoru Suzuki's theme, Cozy Neon RA, as like Mystery Song of the Week, just to see what what they would see to it, what would they would hear to it. And uh, one of our students actually said. It's, I, it, I, I picture a soldier on a hillside by himself. And I hmm. said, so he's going to be a lonely warrior tonight? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's so a pretty clever kid. <laughs> he got a yellow slip, which is the highest honor of work for, <laughs> for that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, there's only so much you can do with a sea shanty. And I, I have a feeling when she goes to the main roster, it won't sound much different. 
No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the final wrestler on today's list uh, started wrestling in 1988 and uh, was a staple of All Japan Women's during the 90s. And like Aja Kong, she is still wrestling to this day. Uh, in fact, she's the founder of the Diana promotion, uh, which is where she uh, mainly wrestles. It is Kyoko Inoue. Her theme can be found on the album Complete All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling. This is called Ready to Fight. Go, go! kind of come full circle here, James, because we started with Rock Your Life Away, which was a very upbeat, energetic, positive, cheesy 80s rock song, uh, and we're ending it with Ready to Fight, which is another upbeat, energetic, positive, cheesy 80s rock song uh, that, that, that somehow is even cheesier than Rock Your Life Away, because it's got all the hallmarks of your typical cheesy 80s rock song. The sunny California vibe, the lyrics that are so simple and on the nose, the call and response chorus, are you ready to fight? Yeah! The shredding guitar solo, I mean, it even has the David Lee Roth talking bits. Hey, check it out. Look at this girl. She's so hot. She's so cute. And you just listen to it and you kind of roll your eyes and say whatever. But at the same time, it's wrestling. It's wrestling. Wrestling is so cheesy and goofy as all hell. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a, a good bit of fun, James. As well, though, I will say that uh, Keoku Inoue's original theme song was Panama by Van Halen. That's right, yeah. And you even get, in this song, you even get this bit. Um, I noticed that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which they've changed the D. But they also stole the, the suspension cords as well. That's Panama, and that's this song. Which is very clever of them to do, and very sensible of them to do. <laughs> but it is kind of like borrowing the themes that you kind of associate with Kyoko in a way as well. I, but I like how they've done it. You know, it is not a bad interpretation of that particular style of music. Actually reminded me of the Cali Punk bands of the era as well, a bit like The Descendants and a bit like All. Um, and that big guitar sound, it's, everything sounds so big and, you know, you've got some chorus in there again as well to make it sound even bigger. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's just right. It's right for Kyoko Inoue. Kyoko Inoue isn't my favorite wrestler from this particular era, but she did know how to sell really well and she knew how to get the best out of other wrestlers. 
And this song kind of gets the best out of her, I think. It it presents her as this fun-loving, kind of like, again, non-threatening, easy-on-the-eye kind of wrestler who has kind of like a lot of fire to her. She has got a lot of fire to her. She's a big baby-faced fire monster. That's she's all, You're looking for the comeback with her. That's where she's going to shine. And I think that kind of like re- reflects that in this particular song. Yeah, Kyoko Inoue, she is certainly a fighter. You know, she is definitely ready to fight. I mean, she invented the burning hammer for crying out loud. And I, I think looking at her appearance as well, that lines up with the positive, upbeat energy of the song because she's got the bright colored ring gear and the tassels and the ultimate warrior face paint. So yeah, cheesiness be damned. I, I'd say this is a pretty good fit for her. And I think pretty much all of the themes on this episode fit their wrestlers really well. Um, maybe not so much Akira Hokuto, sure, but uh, you can't win them all, James. Yeah, no one's perfect, I guess. But yeah, it does fit really, really well. And again, it's kind of like, it's got a bit of a flattered dynamic to it. You don't have the bigs up and downs like you do with Bull Nakano's or you don't with Aji Kong's. It's very much straight clap alongable beat as well. If you notice a lot of Japanese wrestling themes, male or female, they're of a certain tempo where you can clap along because that's what they want for their baby face themes. Um, watching the giant Baba Memorial show last week and they played Baba's theme at the end of the show and the fans started clapping along and you started to realize there is kind of like a stock tempo for Japanese wrestling songs and that it's got to be that speed or else people won't clap along. And um, this kind of fits that, fits that tempo, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in regards to the lyrics, you know, if you compare them to, say, Elvis Costello or Kurt Cobain, then yeah, they're not that great. But <laughs> compared to other wrestling themes, they fit right in, I think, because <laughs> like I'm a big fan of The Undertaker and I legit enjoy his You're Gonna Pay theme. But I will acknowledge wholeheartedly that the line badasses always kicking assholes ass. That's a pretty awful line. It's pretty bad. Not going to deny that. Uh, and yet I still enjoy the song a lot. And, you know, as cheesy as it is, I still enjoy Ready to Fight on some level. So as generic and as obvious as these lyrics are, they still work as lyrics for a wrestling theme, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not. It's a bit like, how can I put this? I'm trying to think of an example. I guess Jerry Reed songs, not the same style of music. Jerry Reed, Jerry Reed does really kind of obvious country music. All his rhymes are really obvious, and you sent listening to it and going, "Why didn't I think of that?" And then I would have made a million-dollar-selling album. But they are really done really, really well. Whether they're cheesy or not, and he's telling a story that's, you know, uh, kind of obvious or not, it's still done well. And this song is done well, and it matches the job it's trying to do. And again, it's kind of generic and not necessarily making all the sense in the world because it's kind of Japanglish, but it doesn't mean it's bad. It's doing what it's supposed to do. We're talking about it because it's memorable. So it must have hit home with somebody. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, those were 10 classic Joshi themes. Uh, This was actually the first Joshi episode that this podcast has ever done. And uh, Lord knows there are about a billion other themes out there for Joshi wrestlers. Uh, that's kind of the beauty and curse of the podcast. The music just never ends. But you know what? When I do decide to jump back into the world of Joshi, I'm looking forward to it. And I think a big reason is because of, of you, James. Uh, thank you so much for being here. You were just an absolute beast on this episode. 
all your knowledge of Joshi and music. It was also appreciated. So thank you so much for being on here. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate that. And thank you for inviting me on. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, James, if you have any plugs you want to give, go right ahead. Um, you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find my podcast at Troopany Show on Twitter. If you want to read what I write, you can find me at vulturehound.co.uk. That's one of the places I write. Steel Chair Magazine, find them on Twitter. And also, occasionally, I write in Fighting Spirit Magazine in the UK, which you can find on the web and on Twitter as well, Fighting Spirit Editor. And a reminder that uh, Music of the Mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find other podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. You can find the YouTube playlist for this and all past episodes at the VOW forums. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash forum. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, really. James, thank you once again, and I look forward to uh, having you on again in the future. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. For James Trupenny, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.